This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode four of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, presented by Equestrian Life. Exclusive coverage of the world of dressage. We would like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life. They can be found at equestrianlife.com and Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. This is Chris Stafford in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Heather Blitz in Esther, Denmark, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show presented by Equestrian Life. Well, hi, Heather. Hi, Chris. How's it going over there in Denmark? It's going quite well. Summer is really beautiful here, just um, still having to get used to the daylight, which still hasn't gotten to the longest day of the year yet. What is that, the 21st of June, I think, 22nd something? And up here in this northern latitude, the daylight is, is plentiful and the darkness, which, of course, we need to sleep, is scarce. So um, we're dealing with that, but it's beautiful. Can't complain. All right. Well, what have we got lined up on, on the show today, Heather? We have a very nice guest, Gil Merrick, from the USCF. is going to talk to us about his position there and what's going on with um, the coach search and what he, what he does for the USCF. And we're going to hear from Bra, and he is um, the man behind Equestrian Life, uh, equestrianlife.com, who is sponsoring our show here at dressageradio.com. Oh, terrific. Well, that sounds like a good show, and I know we've got some reports from uh, competitions in Europe, too, but uh, uh, you're not competing right now, are you, Heather? You, you don't have, uh, you, well, you just have your young horses. You don't have a Grand Prix horse right now, do you? No, I don't, and um, I've been out of the Grand Prix now since November of last year is when the Grand Prix horse I was riding, Otto, uh, when he was sold back to the United States. Tom Fletcher is riding him now, and... Um, I think that's going well. No, I'm currently without Grand Prix horse, and um, don't I don't really like it. <laughs> so my young horse is doing great, though. And if you've heard the shows before this episode, one, two, and three, you've started to get to know him a little bit, and he's doing fantastic. But I really don't have plans to show him until he's um, ready for the FEI, which will be next year, I'm pretty sure. But you're doing a lot of training, a lot of teaching. Uh, what, what's a typical day like for you now, then? I'm riding about um, maybe five horses a day. I have two, and and I have some uh, horses in training, and a, a you know an odd, an odd horse from a student um, here and there that wants me to ride rather than teach. And uh, and my days are done by about three o'clock. But then when I come home, it's a it's a different job for me. We're remodeling a home here in. Um, Esberg, and it's getting towards the end of it, but we still have a lot of work left on it. And then I, I turn into uh, um, yeah, a home building aide when I finish <laughs> with the horses. So uh, you know, spend a few hours doing that every day. But that's a nice, a nice change from being horsey all the time. Yeah, a, com- a complete change, I would say. But nonetheless, very satisfying to see your, you know, a new home unfold before you. It really is, and you know what? There's a lot of similarities between building a house and building a Grand Prix horse. <laughs> <laughs> they both take time, right? 
take a lot of time, a lot of structure, a lot of good basic things, good tools, and then you know at the end of the day you've got a, you've got a nice structure to um, to show off. So, what about you in in Kentucky there? How's it going with you? Uh, well, we we've had a I mean a very busy few weeks I must say, but uh, you know with competitions here really getting going, uh, awful happens in the horse park. I've been covering some events there and there's a lot more coming up, but not least of all the uh, North America Junior Young Rider Championships next month. So we're looking forward to that and we'll be covering that for Equestrian Life and uh, uh, also on the eventing radio show and the dressage radio show, of course. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot happens here, Heather. You know, the, the horse park is just such a vibrant community now with the new facilities and the new competitions that are, are being held here. So, uh, you know, it's and also, of course, we've got that momentum bringing, building up for the World Equestrian Games, and you know that focus that comes with that that it's generating from not not just from the competition world, but also the local community. So it really is That's the place. So exciting. It is actually yes, it, it it absolutely is, and you know I think what what they're doing over there is building a wonderful legacy for for the future. You know, once we get past the World Equestrian Games, um, there'll be other major competitions there because. We have these marvelous facilities. I was in the indoor arena just last week, um, which, I mean, that's developed unbelievably fast. You, I think we're going to be seeing our first competitions in there next month already. So uh, that is looking very impressive. I actually walked on the competition, on, on the uh, uh, arena footing last week, which I hadn't done before. Well, they've got the footing in there. And uh, it, it's just a fabulous space. We're going to have to get you to come over here and hold one of your clinics. You know, you wouldn't have to twist my arm for that. I think I might, <laughs> I might say yes to that. <laughs> I hear the footing is really fantastic there, and I'm just, I'm so looking forward to, you know, the time when I can get to Lex Lexington and and see how it's all going, and of course, you know, to be there hopefully with a horse under me for the wig. <laughs> that would be my dream. Um, we'll see about that. But just to go and see the the progress and see how it's just a it's a it's a buzzing, busy equestrian. Um, thing going on there it's it's great yeah there's certainly something for everybody at the kentucky horse park well uh we're moving right along here heather we've got some news this week both in the, the competition world uh but before we get to that we um, we have something from the fei so let's get going with our news of the week And our first item, as I mentioned, is from the FEI. The FEI Dressage Task Force held a conference call on 4th of July to discuss the program for the Judges' Systems Trial, which will take place in Aachen on September 7th to 9th this year. The stakeholder group representatives will be invited to attend, and the aim of the Judging Systems Trial will be to trial all of the different judging systems that the Dressage Task Force is reviewing for the future. These systems relate to the number of judges, the positioning of the judges and the judging process itself. The trial will explore each option in an open-minded and objective way in order to help the Dressage Task Force put together recommendations for the FEI Bureau meeting in November, when also the new Dressage Technical Committee will be appointed. And Trud Adsmeer, who also joined the conference call, since he was visiting the FEI headquarters in Lausanne at the time, uh, Mr. Trond will be taking up his new position as the dressage director there on June 22nd. So a lot happening there, Heather. Yeah, so Trond is taking um, yeah, taking his new position, and um, they're having these talks and um, trials as far as the judging 
process itself was very interesting. I mean, of course, we've all been hearing lately, and not just lately, but over the years, judging anything artistic. It just comes with inherent difficulties, and um, it's hard to know where the lines are, are drawn as far as, you know, what you can accept as uh, in that department or not. And I just wonder, you know, how much they've got to really think outside the box um, when they're going through these trials and how much they're going to stay within sort of what has been or will they, you know, look into some things that are totally different? It's just going to be really interesting to see what um, what comes of this. And, and it's just, it's a necessity. It has to happen. And it's an exciting time to um, to think about and what does come from this. We'll, we'll wait and see. We will indeed. And I think we'll get Tron on the show at some point, Heather, once he gets into his new position over there in Lausanne as the new dressage director, and we wish him well and, and look forward to learning more about him because he, he's from Scandinavia, isn't he, Norwegian? I think he's Norwegian, yeah. He's got some big shoes to fill. Um, Eva Solomon has been in that position for the last few years, and um, she did a fantastic job, and now uh, she stepped down. So he's got a, a, a tough act to follow, but um, uh, good luck to him, and we're excited to have him in. Good. Well, uh, there were lots of uh, competitions happening in Europe now. We heard of the Dutch National Championships last week uh, from Klaatje van Andel, and this week the German National Championships just took place, and there was an interesting shake-up at the top of the leaderboard there, Heather, in the Grand Prix car. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, good for Matthias. That's, uh, that's quite impressive. And it really is. Matthias uh, Alexander Rath, he, he actually won the car with a score of 81.45, on Sterntaler UNICEF, and uh, he actually beat Isabel with Varun Nicht, uh, just by a fraction though, Heather, did you see the scores there? I think she was on 81.05, yes. it was a yes. fraction, but uh, I, that must have been very close to call, talking about uh, tight judging. Yes, and he, he must have just been really riding on the edge, I mean, I, I, I've seen Taylor and Mateus, and it's a really athletic horse, but not one that I think just anybody could ride, Mateus is a super rider, and he's been, uh, he's been, he's had that ride now for enough time that I think they're really starting to come together, obviously with a score like that, and to a place above our Nick and Isabel, that's um, really proof there, but it's it's really coming together. It's a super athletic horse, a lot to a lot of horse to um, organize just because he's so athletic. So I, I'm really impressed. Um, can't wait to go out and see them in person again. It's been a little while since I've seen them in person. I think they were at Beastbot and I saw them on video, but uh, it's very exciting. Those two. Matthias is what 25 years old. Yeah, he's he's very young, and uh, you know he's, he's big sh big sh uh, shoes to fill there to be in the shadow of Isabel, and then Ula Ula Seltzgeber came in third with Herzruf's Erbe in with eighty point ten. That was uh, quite impressive, and I mean and she's that's a very fantastic horse. That that horse he... has more power in the hind legs than I think I've seen on anything ever. It's, it's quite right? amazing. It's a, yeah, it's a great match for Ula. Um, you know, I haven't seen her with something as good as Rusty since she retired Rusty. And this one is hard to, it's hard to peel your eyes away from this horse with her riding him. It's, it's quite impressive. Well, that's really exciting. You know, I, I can remember Rusty, you know, when he was in competition, uh, traveling to competitions, he used to take up two stalls. You know, he was such a big horse. They'd have to knock two stalls into one. I remember they did that in Sydney. Well, I was walking wow. around the barns there because he was such a big horse. And, she, as you mentioned, she had such a fantastic success with, with Rusty. So I'm looking forward to seeing this horse. I've not seen him before. 
Yeah, well, you just wait. It's, it's <laughs> you won't forget. <laughs> and 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 Ula just uh, inched out uh, Heike Kemmer, of course, Olympian Heike Kemmer with Bonaparte. So I don't know whether Heike was having less than a good day, or or that uh, Ula's horse is just that much better. I don't know, but it sure would have been fun to be there and and see them all go. They're all impressive scores, and and they're all great combinations. That would have been quite a show to go see. And, and good to see both uh, the sisters there, Gina and Nadine Kappelman, both uh, finishing in the top 12 there in the Kerr, Heather. Yes, um, and uh, I don't know Lugger Um and Lamborghini, I think that's a new horse for Katrina. And Anna-Katherine Lutgen, yes. Yeah. Yes, she finished in 12th. I, I noticed, interestingly, that uh, uh, Matthias's horse... Uh, belongs to his stepmom at Anne Catherine Lissenhoff. Yes, and I think since she's been ill, she hasn't been able to ride anymore, and that's when he took the uh, horse. And um, yeah, it, she did used to compete with him, I believe. Yeah. Well, you know, very very dynamic, uh, you know, um, pairings here at the top of, uh, of of the leaderboard, and I I, I think that's seriously influenced the German selections, German selectors, because they've gone for Isabel with either Sachmo or Verumnicht, and, and uh, Matthias with Stantala Unicef and Ulla with Herzrus Erbe and Heike Kammer with Bonaparte. They're going to make up the, the team for Aachen um, coming up here shortly in, in a couple of weeks. Um, and that, of course, is the final selection trial for the Germans for the European Championships to be held at Windsor in Great Britain in August. Great. Well, we heard of the, the Dutch selection uh, process last week, and, and this, is, this is what the Germans are going to present in, in, in Aachen, Heather. Any predictions here how, um, how things will fall in Aachen? I know you're going to try and head down there. Yeah, well, I know that they've all got, um, you know, they've got to do their best for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be surprised if Isabel doesn't pull it out, out of her sleeve. You know, she just has what it takes to, um, you know, step it up a notch when she needs to. And I wouldn't be surprised if she does. Um, you know, Matthias and Stern Taylor, like I said, they can really be great. And obviously with a score like that, he's proved that he's get, really getting the, the partnership with that horse. And so I'm, I'm going to be curious now since the German national championships, of course, um, to see what he does at Aachen. And, um, you know, Heike Kemmer and Bonaparte can be really consistent. And, you know, if, if others might be going for that extra 2%, that can also be a reason to make mistakes if you, if you push it just for a little bit more. And Heike tends to be pretty consistent. Um, Ellen Schildenbarmer on the Natha S can be, that's a beautiful mare. Um, and a really great combination. They can also, you know, be somebody you can't forget because she's always at the top of the leaderboard. Um, of course, Huberta Schmidt, we didn't mention him. He came in seventh on Prego uh, in the Kerr at the championships. And, um, you know, he's just such a fantastic, seasoned, uh, experienced, really level-headed rider. So, you know, um, I think it's also sort of a new ride. He's taken that horse recently as, as a ride. So, um, probably has some things to work out between him. I haven't seen him ride that one. I've seen um, the Italian girl who owns the horse ride him. But so it, it'll just be very interesting. I mean, it might sort of be anybody's um, anybody's go. They they could uh, they could shift around this list of who did well in the championships 
um, or it might be a lot like what we just saw. Yeah, well, again, as always, the Germans have strength in depth there, so no doubt Aachen will be very, very competitive and they'll all have their eyes on the European Championships, and it will be an indicator, of course, of what's to come for the World Equestrian Games next year. Well, meanwhile, in Cannes, in the, in, in the south of Europe, Anki van Grunsven headed to the sunshine there to win the World Dressage Masters in Cannes with Salinero and picked up uh, the first prize of 20,000 euros, which was part of the $60,000 purse for the freestyle. They already won the Palm Beach uh, WDM, um, but that was on painting black that she won in, in Palm Beach. And, and it looks like she's looking forward to uh, partnering Salinero in the future. And, and uh, she said that Kang was only the second international show for him after Hong Kong. And uh, she noticed that in the Dutch National Championships uh, the previous week that they definitely needed to build up the show routine as quickly as possible. And so I think she's got her sights set on the European Championships there. And uh, I think that, again, will be very com competitive. So well done to Anki for, for winning the uh, uh, World Dressage Masters, which uh, is becoming a very popular competition, Heather, with the fantastic prize money. Well, that'll get a lot of riders interested, that's for sure. We all spend tons of money on campaigning these horses, and it's not often that you can, you know, go for such a large prize, and I think that's kind of what it takes, and that's maybe where the sport needs to go a little bit to help some of these riders out, including me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody wants a piece of the pie. Well, Kira Kirkland, and uh, on her uh, long-standing partner, Max, came in second down there in Com. Uh, on 76, and she was followed uh, by Belgium's Jerome Devereux with Apollo Van Het Viverhof. Uh, do you know any? Do you know that combination, Heather? No, I know Jerome, uh, Jerome on the horse that he lost, um, but I haven't seen him on this one. So he's a nice rider, and, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing him on this horse. Nice to see Natalie uh, Wittgenstein from Denmark, one of your neighbours. She came in fourth on Rigoletto. Yeah, congrats to her. I'm sure that was nice. She's very consistently um, improving every time she goes out. She's a super hardworking, really um, serious rider and um, a hot, hot horse, that one, I know. And so she's uh, doing great to keep everything under his hat. And congrats to her on that. Well, I think that's uh, about it for our news of the week, Heather. And uh, I'm sure we'll have lots more coming out of Europe, especially with uh, Arkin coming up in just a couple of weeks' time, but uh, we're heading now to Paragon's Diary. So, yes, um, Paragon this week. Well, um, a little bit after, this is our fourth episode here now, and I'm, I'm just feeling uh, a little, like, a little pressure to come up with some newsworthy things about Paragon on a weekly basis, just because, you know, sometimes training takes a little time before I get some breakthroughs that are really you know, exciting, newsy things. But um, this win this week hasn't been major breakthroughs, anything major in the training, but it's been a really consistent week. If you heard about his um, sort of his training moments in last week's edition or last uh, last week's entry into the diary, um, he's, Paragon has gotten further in kind of the acceptance of being energetic or powerful or, or in front of my leg when I make small, more collected steps and a little more roughness and push them a bit more together. And this week has just been 
um, confirming that work really and just spending more hours doing it and him getting more used to it, building up some strength and um, some consistency with it. So it's been a nice week and it, it, from beginning to the end of it has been um, easier and easier each time. So when this gets to be even more kind of settled and something that's not new to him anymore, then I'll think about what the next um, the next thing might be that we add. He, he has challenged me this week, he's challenged me to not help him too much. That this sort of came out today as I was riding him. There were some things that were, I almost got uh, what I wanted and I just thought if I kind of did a little something for him, I probably could have gotten it, but it's a, it's a, it's, wouldn't be a smart thing. I mean, the more I feel in and work for him, then of course he or any horse would just say, well, if you're going to do it, go ahead. So it was sort of my challenge to sit there and, and uh, take what he's giving me and not try to, you know, grab for that extra 2% more that maybe if I filled in, I could have had, but not worth it if I have to do the work for him. So I had a little challenge um, this week and just being really still and really waiting for him and, uh, then it worked out great for the for the fact that I let him him work it out on his own, and it's just a matter of you know will he keep energy himself or do I can I just sit still and let him do the work without me keeping on after him and and he did so um, that was nice to know and I think he appreciated it. he's pretty proud of himself this weekend you know I think he's getting kind of uh, his muscles are getting more uh, blossomy or bloomy he looks kind of chunky you know he's a tall leggy lanky horse and and to see him fill, do some filling out in his musculature is pretty exciting because it's not his like what he was just given he really has to work for some bulk in his muscles and he's starting to look um like he's really putting on, on some nice muscling and is noticing that today so that's about it for this week with him and um i'm going to definitely get a video camera holder because i now just the right time to uh, put it on video and kind of you can see the progress then from the last time terrific well we'll go to your website heatherblitz.info to uh, catch up with his uh, videos i always look forward to those heather so um you'll have to you'll have to let us know on the show when they're, they're posted so we can i'll uh, do that yeah um tell tell me what what are his favorite treats his favorite treats are those little starburst peppermint things. I, I don't know what the official name is, but they're little red and white candies. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, I can't get them in Denmark. I think maybe they have them as candy canes around <laughs> Christmas time. But to just find them in a bag, and of course, you know, he's going to eat a few a day, so I need a big bag. Um, I think you can drive over to Sweden and get them. It's about a four-hour drive for me. So um, <laughs> it's either spend the gas and the tolls over the bridges or um, have my mom ship them to me from the States. But he really loves the, the and, of course, carrots. He has his um, core strengthening, stretching exercises that we do, um, and those are for bits of carrot that he will pretty much leave anything to uh, to come eat those. So, you know, not, not unusual there for horse like carrots, but... Those and then the the peppermints are are really his favorite. But he'll, he'll kind of eat anything. <laughs> and you call him Perry, don't you? That's his barn name, right? I do. Yes, I call him Perry. 
Um, I can call him what I want. I named him in the first place. <laughs> um, so Perion was the name I chose for him, and uh, it's a little bit long to call him that daily, and it's not, you know, Perry, everybody, you have to shorten it and put a Y at the end. So um, it can't turn into Perry. Sometimes it's just P. So Okay. <laughs> or handsome or sweetheart or big goofball, you know. He, he comes to any of those names. He is a big goofball, you know. Is he? Well, I can't yes. wait to meet him one day because... Uh... You know, just looking at the videos of him, he really is something special. He is to stand next to him, just to walk in the barn and see him in the cross ties and just stand, just to, just him standing there. There is something very special about him. And um, I did put a measuring stick on him today just because every day I see him, I swear he's grown another centimeter. But he hasn't. He's still one between 178, 179. I think that's a, that enhances. Yeah, it's around 17, three and a half, something like that. Yeah, it sounds like he has wonderful stature and presence, as you say. He really does. And he, he can look at you in a way that is, uh, you know, not just in your face and it's not intimidating. It's just a, it's just so inviting. You just have to go up and, and say hi to him. And, you know, he's, he's not going to be annoying about wanting attention. He just draws you in. And it's, uh, at least he does me and seems like others too. So I'm, I'm just so lucky to have him, you know, whether he turns into what I really wanted to or not, just, we're such a match, you know, he, he just does so much to fill me up as a person and, and our, just his character alone. And the fact that he's got talent for the, all the gates and the movements, that's just the, the cream on the top. But just as a, just as a person, he's, he's great for me and he's, um, somehow I got lucky. Because it's not like you could really see that, you know, when you pick him out. But it just, it just worked out. So if he was a movie star, who would he be? Mm, that's a good question. I might have to think about that. All right. Next. We'll leave that with you and uh, come back with some ideas for us next week. Okay. All right. Thanks, Heather. Well, uh, we're going to take a short break here, and uh, we'll be joined by Gil Merrick uh, when we come back. So stay tuned. Picking the right supplement for your dressage horse can be a daunting challenge, but Kentucky Performance Products is there to help. You can trust Kentucky Performance Products to give you the most value for your money. They offer supplements designed to target specific problems and are made with high-quality ingredients included at effective levels. The company's supplements are intended to complement, not compete, with your horse's current feeding program, guarding against over-supplementation. Each product is backed by sound research and a money-back satisfaction guarantee. And we're in summertime now, and it's time to look after your dressage horses in the summer heat. Summer Games electrolytes were developed specifically for use at the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta. Formulated to replace key electrolytes and trace minerals at the proper ratio, Summer Games increases your horse's tolerance to exercise and speeds recovery time. It is concentrated, low-sugar formula provides more electrolytes per dose than many leading brands. For horses on the go, use Summer Games Plus Paste. This revolutionary electrolyte paste contains Nalox equine antacid. The dual-action electrolyte offers horses the extra benefit of buffering the stomach at stressful times. Learn more about Summer Games electrolytes and all of the products at kppusa.com. That's Kentucky Performance Products at kppusa.com. 
Well, we're coming to our first guest uh, of the show. That's uh, Gil Merrick, who's going to be joining us. Um, Gil is the Assistant Executive Director of the United States Equestrian Federation and their dressage department. He's been there for quite a while, and uh, he's a very enthusiastic uh, dressage rider and trainer himself and dedicated to his job. And so we're going to be joined by Gil now to learn a lot more about what that role involves. Well, Gil, thank you so much for joining us on the Dressage Radio Show. You are one of our early guests, and we appreciate you spending the time with us. Well, thanks very much for inviting me. Well, we'd like to start off, Gil, with um, just talking a little bit about what the USCF do in, and what you do is in your role as AED of the Dressage Department there, because you know a lot of our viewers will know that it, it, it does a lot of work behind the scenes, so I think it would be helpful for them to understand exactly what it is your role, what your role involves. Okay. You know, uh, some people are aware that the U.S. Equestrian Federation is the national governing body for equestrian sport. And what that means is after the International Olympic Committee appointed the FEI as our international governing body, then each country that participates in the Olympic Games and the Pan Am Games and the World Games designates its own national governing body, and that is the role of the USEF. Within our organization, I'm the staff member who coordinates all the work of what we call our dressage eligible athlete committee and also our high performance committee. And what that is, the eligible athlete committee, and Heather is a member of that committee, are our high performance athletes who are involved in the whole process of designing our selection procedures for these international events, come up with the rules that are going to surround how we run our selection trials and how the teams are actually picked and who also determine how the funding is going to be allocated in any given year as far as whether that funding is going to be for grants to help the riders get to Europe or compete in Europe or whether we're going to use it for uh, training sessions here in the United States and also to some degree uh, how we allocate it to our uh, coaching program. And those committees convene and and work through these uh, processes and procedures and then it actually gets handed off to the staff of the Federation to make sure that it's all implemented so that we schedule our championships when those are our selection trials uh, according to the guidelines that were set up by the athletes and by our committees, and that uh, throughout the process that anybody who's trying to qualify for our championships and our selection trials uh, know where to go to get their questions answered, if they have a question about the rules for that, whether a certain competition counts or doesn't count, and uh, just all the, the various things that could come up in the process then it's staff's job to uh, provide the information back out to the competitors and make sure that they understand how that all works. So I work with a team of people at the Federation, and uh, we break ourselves up into the areas of responsibility. Jennifer Keeler has been on board with the Federation for over seven years now, I believe, and uh, oversees all of our national programs. That's our Markel USCF Young Horse Program. It's the Developing Horse Program. Uh, Brentina Cup, and then our Dressage Seat Equitation medal program, amongst some others. And then I partner with Maureen Pethick, who's based in Gladstone, New Jersey, and also Jenny Van Weeren, and we oversee the high performance end of the sport, which is the uh, Grand Prix and the Intermediate Air uh, divisions, where we have the championships that pick our teams for both the Pan Am Games at the Intermediate Air level, and then the uh, Grand Prix championships, which of course is for the Olympic Games and the World Equestrian Games. And, of course, um, a lot of people remember the USCT, the old USCT, and now that, of course, is the foundation for the fundraising. Explain, if you would, Gil, how that relationship now works with the USCF. Sure. 
the u s equestrian team foundation is still based in gladstone new jersey it's in the original facility that was here for many years the people just referred to as gladstone where the teams train both the fencing and show jumping and dressage and their mission is to raise the funds privately through private donations that are then given actually as a grant to the u s equestrian federation to help fund its high performance programs and that's across all of the disciplines that compete at the high performance level so it's the seven disciplines within the fei that compete at the world equestrian games and the para equestrian funding is also to some degree run through there as well as through the u s olympic committee so tell us i mean we obviously you're you're coming into a Pretty, pretty big uh, pre, um, pre-WEG year here, Gil. What's your main focus now with the teams, with um, Arken, of course, the biggest competition in a few weeks in, in uh, Germany? What does, well, how does that play out for you? What, what is your role and, and, and responsibilities leading up to a, a major event like that, for example? Well, uh, two things are going on right now. One, uh, we've been undergoing the process of a search for the last, uh, almost six months now for our new uh, national coach and uh, chef to keep. Uh, this is the replacement for Klaus Balkenhall, who served in that role for eight years. And uh, we're just at the point now where we're getting ready to schedule interviews with our finalist candidates for that. We hope to have those scheduled and, and happening in the next weeks. Uh, we certainly would like to get that in place as soon as we can. And at that point, when the new uh, coach is in place and we have that put in in the place, they will work very closely with the High Performance Committee and the Eligible Athlete Committee to determine our strategy, really, uh, going forward, getting ready for the World Games. That will include having uh, riders who are not based in Europe, like uh, Heather is, uh, traveling over there uh, throughout the rest of this year, uh, competing in the international competitions throughout Europe. So that would be certainly in Great Britain, uh, could be in Scandinavia, it would certainly be on the, on the continent as far as Germany and Holland, and probably also a little bit uh, down by Austria some of those areas there. My role then would just be to make sure that the riders who are going over uh, have uh, their transportation in order, that they're entered in the events that they need to compete in, that they have a, a base training facility when they're there, and that our coach is fully enabled uh, to support that process, whether it's uh, getting them ready for the events or attending the events. And that's really something that the incoming coach will plan themselves. As I said, they'll work with our committees and put a plan together. Whatever that plan is, then it'll be my job to make sure the logistics around that happen the way that they're laid out. And in some cases, if we have several riders at one international event in Europe, then I'll be asked as the staff person with the U.S. Equestrian Federation to travel to the event and really just support them to make sure that everything works for the housing in the hotels, that the groom's accommodation is in place, and that we as a country are being treated on equal footing with all the other countries that participate at these international events. So the, getting the new coach in place is one big effort that's going on, and then the other effort will be to coordinate both the training that we do here in the United States to get our riders ready for the World Games, and then also the training and competition that we do in Europe leading right up to the event. So, Gil, I know that um, you know listening to people that I've talked to lately, and you just know what people are concerned with um, and really interested in is, of course, about the team coach that we're all looking for and um, wondering about and you know, what what all sort of leads can we give anybody? What can we say um, about maybe who's applying, um, how many are applying, what sort of um, juicy news can we give about that? Well, 
uh, from the beginning of the process, uh, we've had a search committee, and that committee's uh, been made up of uh, Captain Mark Phillips, uh, who is our uh, uh, chef to keep and technical advisor in the eventing world. We also have George Morris serving on that committee, and he serves in that role, of course, for the show jumping. We have Karen O'Connor, who represent, who's there as a representative from the eventing discipline. John Madden is on that committee from show jumping. And then from our own dressage uh, community, we have uh, Stu Blinks, who's the chair of our eligible athletes committee, Gunther Seidel, uh, who's also a member of that committee, and then Marianne McPhail, who serves on our high-performance dressage committee. And their job has been to look and define what the job is for the person who's uh, hired, and then to look at the applications that have come in, and we've had 11 uh, that came in uh, by the deadline of May 15th, and to see who has met the criteria uh, for the job as it was posted. And from that, we now have uh, three individuals who are coming forward for the final interview. And each of them, I can say, uh, one, I've been, we've been asked from the beginning to keep the names of the applicants confidential. And the reason for that is there are some people who are very interested in the position and basically feel that if they weren't uh, selected for it, They'd rather the community around them not think that they were going to leave what they were doing and perhaps abandon clients or other obligations to take on a new job and almost disrupt the people that they're working with if, in fact, they're not going to be picked and it's something that, that they, we don't, the search committee doesn't feel they were the right candidate. They'd rather not be seen as someone who is ready to leave what they were doing and go off to do something else. So yeah, that, makes, agreed, that makes a lot of we've sense. We've agreed from the beginning to keep the names confidential. And so at this point, we're almost to the end of the process. And then uh, the applicants themselves might be free to, to let people know who it was. And then we will certainly announce uh, who's put in place for that. But you know, the, the applicants we have, they each come with a variety of uh, experiences and skill sets and things that they feel that they can provide that they're very strong in. Others who feel that there's some areas they're strong in and would like to partner with some others to fulfill the full scope of the job. And that's what's going to come out in the interview process as far as if the person who's picked has one or two areas where they say, I'd like to have somebody partner up with me and support me in that area, that we would already have an indication of who that could be, and it might even be somebody who's applied for this position. So we're going to be working out who's the most qualified and how would they fulfill their job if they were offered the position, and then look to put together a, a network so that they can make that happen as well. Yeah, what a what a major task it's it's got to be for anyone to undertake, and also for um, the the person to be selected in the selection committee just has a huge job on their hands, and we're all looking forward to seeing what happens. Yeah, I think, and Heather, you just summed it up right because something that's been a theme throughout this search process is we're so uh, happy with the job that Mark Phillips is doing and that George Morris is doing, and and we can just see the person who takes on the job. The phrase we've been using is they um, define themselves by the job. It's kind of a 24-7, 365 days a year. You, you, know, you live and breathe the dressage team, and how do we win medals at international competition? So it's a unique individual who can put other things in their life to the side and step in and say, this is a 110% commitment over a long period of time for something as important as winning medals at, at international events. I, I noticed, uh, um, Gil, when you uh, spoke about the search committee, that there are people from other disciplines that are involved in that process. And our listeners might wonder why that happens and it, with for dressage and you don't just use dressage people. Does that apply to the other disciplines that you tend to look at a pool of, of you know, high-performance experts to participate in that selection process? Absolutely. And the logic behind that is, 
that uh, let's just take the show jumping uh, discipline right now, who's enjoying a tremendous amount of success after the gold medal wins at the Olympic Games and their success that they have now in the Maidan League over in Europe. And what we want to be sure is that the person who's coaching that uh, undertaking right now can weigh in with this committee and say, you know, from my shoes, I can tell you that it's very important for the person who's going to do this for dressage to be able to provide the following things to the sport. And then for someone with a lifetime of experience like Mark Phillips to be able to weigh in and say, you know, from my shoes and from my perspective, this is what's been very effective in our sport disciplines, something that we think all the Olympic disciplines should be looking to. And then to have Karen O'Connor and John Madden and the, and the folks who, who are active with competitors in those divisions, whether they're competitors themselves or trainers, and to be able to say, we've noticed over the years that these are the elements of the coaching position that make the biggest difference in our success. And that way, um, we also, because those who live in the sport of dressage are very close to the sport, you might miss one or two things because you are so close to it. So the feeling was uh, to use the process that was undertaken when uh, George Morris was recruited for his position. We're doing the search under the same uh, parameters as were in place for that search. It's very interesting. And, of course, you do have the, some wonderful pool of resources and expertise across all the disciplines now. And as you say, they're all enjoying wonderful success so uh, it makes all the sense in the world to, to pull those resources and, and hopefully identify the best person for this job, Gil. That's right. And another very important uh, part of the uh, search process is the interviews are going to be conducted by all the members of our dressage eligible athlete committee. So Heather and the others who serve on that committee, and we have a full list of those up on the USCF website, uscf.org, and you just go to the breeds and discipline, I'm sorry, to the um, committee list, and you can see the dressage eligible athlete committee listing. And those people will actually be conducting the interviews, along with Chester Weber, who comes from the world of combined driving. He's chaired the search committee. And then myself as the staff liaison for the dressage committee. So the interviews are actually conducted by the athletes. And they will then make their recommendation to the High Performance Dressage Committee, who formally vote on it on behalf of the board of directors. So this is an athlete-driven process, and it's an athlete-driven decision. Well, what, what, we, we wish you lots of luck with that, Gil. It's, it's an exciting prospect for you. We look forward to, to the outcome of that. And, and we also, of course, are getting really excited about the build-up to the WEG here. We have our own WEG 2010 show that I know you've been on uh, with Glenn. And uh, we're all kind of warming up to the games now. So explain to our listeners, if you will, what the process looks like for your dressage committee as you move ahead uh, with the selection trials. Um, where will they be and what's the kind of time frame for that to, to start to identify the prospects for team selection, Gil? Okay. Well, we have a memo that just went out that was giving our athletes a, a very broad overview of how the process will work just so they can get started planning their uh, competition year and actually on July 1st of this year the uh, qualifying period is going to start and between July 1st of 2009 and through to July 15th of 2010 any uh, rider who starts in a Grand Prix competition at a CDI one of the international FEI events anywhere in the world the scores from the Grand Prix are going to be tracked and there we're going to create a ranking list from that over that uh, qualifying period. Uh, we're going to require that the riders start at least uh, two times at a CDI and that the, for one of the events they ride the Grand Prix test in combination with the Grand Prix special and at a separate event they ride the Grand Prix test in combination with the Grand Prix freestyle. 
they can start in more CDIs, and at the end of the qualifying period, if they have more than three or three scores or more, they can elect to drop one of them, or actually we will just automatically take out the lowest score, so that won't impact their average. And if they'd like to uh, compete at an event, and it might just not be ideal circumstances for their horse, so they want the experience, but they're, they're not so sure they want the score to count, they can also ask before the event. The scores don't count, so that it allows them the opportunity to get in front of a panel of five international judges, and if it's not quite the timing for them to use that score, they have the option to drop that out. At the end of the qualifying period, the recommendation is to invite the top 15 riders uh, to the selection trials. And we have several riders now uh, who have uh, two or even more horses competing at the Grand Prix. So we were going to allow for one rider to bring up to two horses. We think more than that would become a bit of an unwieldy uh, championship. But we would invite the 15 top riders. If uh, several of those riders have uh, two horses, then we could have 17 or 18 or even 19 horses in the uh, selection trials. They're going to be held in Gladstone, New Jersey at the U.S. Equestrian Team Foundation facility over two weekends in August. And the first weekend, I believe, is the 15th to the 17th, and the second weekend would be the one that follows that on the calendar. And on the first weekend, they'll ride the Grand Prix on one day, and they'll also ride the Grand Prix Special on the second day of that weekend. And then the following week, they'll ride the Grand Prix again on one of the days, and then they'll ride the Grand Prix Freestyle. And there'll be an averaging of the scores between the two weekends. That'll create the final uh, ranking from the selection trials. And uh, horses one, two, three, and four will be named to the team. And the fifth horse rider combination will be the reserve that will stay with the team uh, up until the event. The strategy then is to have the selected team stay at the facility in Gladstone. Uh, it's a beautiful facility for those who haven't seen photos or, or had a chance to have been here. Uh, we have complete control over every aspect. We have control over the stabling, the bedding, uh, all the care that comes with the horses, the footing in the training ring, and the idea is to have the team stay here in, in uh, Gladstone, and then just prior to the start of the competition in Lexington, uh, to van the horses overnight when it's cooler and take the whole team down and then move into the, to the competition facility there at the Kentucky Horse Park. Well, that's a very comprehensive plan, Gil, and it's clearly going to keep you busy for the next uh, year and a half at least. And I know how you dedicate your time to this and you're passionate about the sport. So we know we're in pretty safe hands. And um, I guess before then, though, you'll probably be thinking of a trip to Germany in the next few weeks. I am uh, headed out along with Jessica Ranzahausen on March, I'm sorry, on uh, June 26th. And okay. we head for uh, Dusseldorf in Germany. We'll spend three days with uh, Stefan Peters and Catherine Haddad as they get Ravel and uh, Cadillac ready for the uh, CDIO five-star uh, competition. And uh, Catherine Haddad is also entering Maximus JSS in the CDI four-star competition. So we will be there as the federation to offer them our full support and uh, let uh, Stefan go back into the ring against the folks he competed with in Las Vegas and, and did us all so proud here in the U.S., and then also Catherine, who's been so active in the international arena there in Europe and having great success with Cadillac, and have an opportunity to support her at an international event and, and have them both represented there. So that's our next overseas trip. And, and Gil, uh, was Jane Hampkin and Maximilian going to be there? Unfortunately, uh, Maximilian had a slight injury, and uh, she asked uh, Dr. Rick Mitchell, who's our team veterinarian, to 
come have a look at him. It was about uh, just about a week ago now, and decided since this is a horse who's a very strong candidate for the World Games next year, that they would not take the risk of having him do the flight over to Europe and uh, stay in training competition for Aachen. So unfortunately um, for Jane, personally, she won't be able to make the trip, and it really is a shame because she earned one of the training grants that the Federation had available this year. Um, she is able to use that later in the year if uh, she'd like to go over and enter some other international shows, and that is definitely her plan. She just wants to give Maximilian a little bit of time off now and then look to do uh, the trip in the fall and come over and do maybe two mm -hmm. other competitions. Sounds like she's playing so it very smart. For Jane. It was a, I'm sorry? It sounds like she's playing it very smart. She is. I mean, this is a definite uh, prospect for next year, and as you know better than anyone, Heather, that's the management of the horses. That's one of the biggest challenges every rider has, and mm -hmm. even though probably she could get on the plane and probably have an okay trip, why take the chance when this is a horse that you want to have a, a longer-term career with? Yeah. So you learn those things. so hard for the riders. Absolutely. Yes. So we just have the two horses then in Aachen, Gil? That's right. We'll have the two in the team competition. They just start as individuals. And so, of course, they can earn an individual placing, but there, there is no opportunity for us as a country to, to have a team placing. Well, good. Well, hopefully not too hectic. It's not like having a team. You'll have to be able to have a bit of vacation as well, won't you? It never seems to go that way, but I'll, I'll hold out with the fantasy. How's that? <laughs> I know how that feels. <laughs> well, Gil, we really enjoy, enjoy talking to you and appreciate you spending the time with us. And I'm sure you'll be back on the show in future weeks and months as we you know, begin this cycle leading up to WEG. We wish you the best of luck over to Germany there with our two riders. And uh, hopefully you'll come back and tell us more about it as the season unfolds. Well, I'd sure look forward to that. I appreciate you inviting me today, and I'm happy to fill you in with what I know at any time. Well, thank you so much, Gil. We appreciate it. Thanks for talking to both of you. Uh, Take care, Heather. We'll look forward to seeing you at the next event over there. Well, thanks to Gil. That was tremendous, Heather. Very helpful to understand what goes on behind the scenes, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be him. I mean, he does such a great job at it, but I can't imagine them um, uh, being aware of all the past to go on behind the scenes, all the rules, all the things that he has to know about and all the athletes that have all the questions. And it's, a, it's just he does a fantastic job. Great to hear from him. Well, before we get to your training tip of the week, Heather, we're going to hear from John McGraw. He's the founder of Equestrian Life, who are presenting sponsors for the Dressage Radio Show. And uh, you'll know that they are also the official social community for the Horse Radio Network. So we wanted to find out from John a little bit more about what Equestrian Life is and what it does. Well, John, we appreciate you joining us today to tell us about Equestrian Life and, of course, your very kind sponsorship of the Dressage Radio Show. Welcome. Thank you. We're very excited about um, sponsoring the Dressage Radio Show. Uh, we think it's going to be a fantastic thing for those in the dressage community as well as the members of Equestrian Life. Well, for our listeners' benefit, you know, uh, although we we have all our other shows and we talk about equestrian life, um, people on the on the dressage radio show are just getting used to hearing about you. So, tell us all about equestrian life, how you got it started, and what it uh, actually it does. Well, we started equestrian life about a year. Uh, we launched it about a year ago, uh, almost to the month, and we decided to just develop a place where equestrians could get information about all sort of all equestrian disciplines not just dressage or hunter jumper but all the western disciplines 
as well as a place for people to connect via a community just for horse lovers. And then finally, really, uh, we think it's really important to be able to provide an educational component because all of us who own horses and ride them come up with questions or concerns about our horses that we may not know from personal experience or, and we think that we want to provide a community that would just give that education and have that available to all its members. And, and explain to us what the platform looks like, John, because it's quite complex. It's, it's similar, something like the Facebook uh, for, for the horse world. And tell us, tell us exactly what those components are. Yeah, exactly. We have um, numerous times been called or compared to the, being the, the horse Facebook. Um, so obviously we have the community aspect. You can join and create a profile, of course, about yourself as well as your horse. Um, we've taken the time to uh, develop a very extensive show database, so hopefully we have most all of the dressage shows specifically both here in the United States as well as Canada. Um, we have a, a directory of trainers and equestrian services throughout the country, so if people need something, they can um, search the directory to find uh, whatever they may need with respect to their horses. Um, we have tons of videos on horse health and uh, riding techniques, as well as something that's very new to us recently, which is um, more and more live event coverage, where we uh, go to certain events and coverage the, cover those events live. So, John, it sounds like you're pretty hands-on with this um, project that you've come up with, and it's pretty impressive that you had the idea to start with and that you are right up there in the middle of it and really at the, at the steering wheel, it sounds like. Well, yes, both my, uh, myself and my partner, Dina, uh, both have a technology background as well as we both ride, so we thought it would be a great way to marriage, marry our our passion for horses with our background in technology. Well, that's exciting. And, and I, I think we've started to get you in, really interested in dressage, John, from our conversations. I know you'll come from a hunter-jumper background, but we're trying to do something about that, Heather. In, in a, we're working on them to, to get them into the dressage arena. Do you think we'll, we'll have any luck there, John? <laughs> I hope so. I keep getting... Uh, I keep getting tease especially uh, my older daughter who rides and she said dad there actually is something you do between the jumps um, you probably should work flat work a little bit more so uh, yeah I'm, I'm hoping to learn a lot more about uh, my flat work and suppling my horse and all those kinds of things as I learn more about dressage well you'll just have to keep paying attention to all my training tips and then you'll just want to go out there and practice everything <laughs> there you go Heather thank you <laughs> yeah, I was I was waiting for one of us to plug those. Heather, well done. I think I think we may have some converts here. So, uh, what is the, the plan then, John? What do you um, plan to do next um, to find some big events to cover? Um, what sort of direction are you going to go in? Well, we have a a, a very extensive uh, uh, calendar of events that we're going to uh, be covering this summer. Um, Specifically on the dressage side, um, the Young Riders uh, event at the Horse Park in Kentucky, 
we're going to um, be doing some coverage in conjunction with the United States Dressage Federation. Uh, we're going to do some coverage of the Hunter Derby for the United States Hunter Jumper Association. We're going to do some reining as we on the road to uh, the World Equestrian Games. So that's just to mention a few events that we have on the calendar. Great. And and for, for our listeners' benefit, obviously we want them all to go to Equestrian Life. Um, tell tell our listeners what they would find when they get there, when they develop it. The, the, the profile, of course, it's free. We should point that out, that you can have a profile on Equestrian Life for no charge. Um, and, and the kind of uh, things that they will benefit from, John, once they become a member. Yeah, so once you become a member, you have access to obviously becoming uh, really part of a very vibrant community that uh, our members have created. Um, we have approximately 25,000 members now, uh, most in the United States and Canada, but we're increasing the number in Europe, and we're thrilled about that. Um, so it's kind of a, a neat way to reconnect or meet new people in the horse world. Um, we think that's uh, a really dynamic part. But again, the, uh, one of our most important things uh, from, from our perspective is the education aspect, and we are trying to produce about 100 new educational videos each month. So tips on training, horse health, rider health, all of those kinds of things. So we think that um, those will be quite enjoyable for the, for the folks that um, join. Um, we have a series of experts from around the world that uh, write articles as well as help us produce the videos. Um, I think that's just to mention a few uh, of the real highlights of equestrianlife.com. Well, terrific, John. And I should point out that listeners will be able to Listen to the Dressage Radio Show directly on your website, too. You have a, a page there for the Horse Radio Network, don't you? We absolutely do. Right on the, right on the top uh, of the navigation, we have um, a Horse Radio button, and you can go there and you can listen to the Dressage Radio Show as well as all the other shows produced by the Horse Radio Network. Terrific. Well, we so appreciate you um, becoming a part of the family, John, here at the Horse Radio Network and supporting this brand new show, the Dressage Radio Show. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We, we're we also very impressed right now with the response that we've been getting so far, and uh, and so too has, has Glenn the Geek. And uh, if Glenn's happy, then we're happy. Well, thank you so much for uh, giving us the opportunity to be a sponsor. We look forward to... Uh, a long and fantastic uh, relationship with the Dressage Radio Show and Heather and you, Chris. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you joining us today, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be back on the show in the coming months and uh, keep us updated with equestrianlife.com. Well, that's great, Heather. You know, it's wonderful to have the support of such a community that is being built over there by Equestrian Life for a show such as ours, which is really new. Uh, the nuclear on the block, and 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 we really are we do really do appreciate what they're doing for us. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what a great guy. He's just so outgoing, so excited about what he's doing, and you know that's exactly what we need. Somebody out there and and doing a, something like that for a, an equestrian world where you know a lot of horse people are in the barn all day. They don't get so into technology. So we're thrilled to have him on board and getting us out there in the in the cyber world like we need to be so we can all 
really benefit from that and what he's doing. And, and combine their online and offline activities. I think that's, that's, uh, right. that's what we need to do. All right. Well, we've uh, just got one listener's email list. Together, and that's from our friend's question about bending. And she said, hey, guys, thanks so much, Heather, for your input. I think you did hit the nail on the head with Blue and my problem about bending. I think that I do try to bend her too much, and I've been confusing turning and bending. Unfortunately, Blue is now out due to her losing two front shoes, but once she gets those replaced and I'm back riding, I will tell you guys how it went. Uh, thanks so much, uh, she writes. So uh, nice to get an update, Heather. It sounds like she's putting into practice where she can the, the tips that you're offering. Yeah, well, I hope that she gets back with us again when the horse gets her shoes back on and she does put it to practice, and I, I want to hear an ongoing uh, report. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, well, speaking of your training tips, uh, we're coming to your training tip of the week. Okay, well, um, this week I decided to talk about training flying changes on a horse that doesn't know them yet. Um, and a lot of people don't have the luxury of just handing the horse over to a trainer who has the experience and says, you're training my horse to do flying changes. And um, also then some, of course, uh, riders are out there and they're trying to learn how to train them onto a horse, which is quite different, of course, than just doing a flying change on a horse that knows them. Um, it seems like flying changes are just sort of a, a, a milestone or a marker that a lot of riders think, boy, if I could only do flying changes. And it, it, it does take you out of second level, and it can get you into a place where you could imagine doing third and fourth level um, uh, as far as the U.S. levels. Um, so it is sort of a milestone, and, it, and it, um, it's a really big deal to a lot of riders. But I think because of that, then um, it's pretty frequent that a lot of riders will let the quality of the canter deteriorate um, and be less important at the, at the expense of just trying to get the change to happen. And it's a, it's a common thing. It's a, it's a common mistake. Um, a lot of riders get into that because they so want to make the flying change happen. Um, but it really, in some horses, you might get lucky. They'll, they'll just be easy and they'll just be natural and might just do it. Um, more normal situation is that you're going to have to deal with the the lack of rideability or some of the evasions that start to happen when the horse anticipates that, that something new has to happen, flying change. They have to get off the ground, switch their legs, and land on a new lead. And before they knew that, you know, it, it can be quite intimidating to them, or they might be very confused. Like, what do you want me to do? So, uh, of course, you can start with. Uh, the canter it has to be, of course, balanced that you can make the starts bigger, smaller. Uh, the horse has to be very sensitive and reactive to the aids. Um, so the aids aren't strong and over pushing and, and the riders, you know, making the horse do stuff. The horse listens lightly. So there has to be a functionality in the canter just in general, just as you canter on a circle or a straight line. Um, and then if you take a canter that's, that's at that point, then you can start doing simple changes where you just canter, uh, say, on the right lead and make a walk transition and canter on the left lead. So a simple change. And when simple changes get pretty worked out and pretty rideable and you keep all the balance, reactivity, functionality in simple changes, uh, you can also then do counter canter without losing rideability, balance, functionality, um, then you can see about what it, what your horse does when you ask for the flying change. Um, and like I said, some horses will just do it. Some, most of them won't. But 
what normally happens, especially after a couple of times asking, then um, maybe they decide to do things that aren't flying changes or something um, like running off or running sideways or um, then they stop being sensitive. Whatever the particular horse picks as the thing that they do other than doing the flying change is what the rider needs to um, focus on and keep tabs on. So if your horse, if you try to make a flying change and they run faster, you have to take care of the fact that they did that instead of the change. If they suck back, you have to take care of that first. So whatever the horse does, sort of as an evasion or sort of as a as a, a guess of what you might want, if it's not a flying change, first say that they can't do that and then see what they do if you take away all the wrong options. So, you know, kind of dealing with what happens when horses anticipate is what you've got to do however long they make mistakes in anticipation before you can expect that you can ask for a clean flying change. And that can take a long time. It can take, of course, different horses, different times, but it can take a day with one horse. It can take a month with another one. Um, however long it takes, um, to stay with telling the horses what's not allowed until they pick, they basically try something and they pick the right thing. So, um, you know, whether it's not a matter really of telling you what leg does what and what hand does what, but, you know, if you can ask for a, a, if you can ask for a canter transition from walk, it's probably the same type of aid that you could use for a flying change. But what happens normally is, is riders don't take care of the evasions when the horses anticipate. So I think that's the kind of a theory you can think of when you're not sure why your horse won't make the change or it's not clean, um, that you can just concentrate on what you shouldn't allow and see what the horse then chooses next if he knows what he did wasn't allowed. So um, I think that kind of wraps up that training tip. And um, I would love it if um, at this point I could encourage our listeners to um, – call in, uh, email in. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have questions about my training tips, um, I'd love to expand on what, to, what questions you have about them or comments you have about them. So whether they're training-based uh, questions or ideas or just comments about the show in general, suggestions, what you'd like us to talk about, just take this moment to encourage your listeners to give us some feedback and, and tell us what, uh, what you got on your mind. Well, great, Heather. Thank you so much. It's always very insightful, and uh, I know that we're already building up quite an audience listening into your training tips of the week, and uh, we look forward to next week. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you're going to tell us about the other shows that are going on on the Horse Radio Network. Yes, well, be sure to tune in um, to the other shows. They're all really exciting and lots to gain. Um, the Eventing Radio Show, hosted by... Uh, and the Geek and Chris at eventingradio.com. Um, the Stable Scoop, hosted by Glenn the Geek and Helena B, at, also at thestablescoop.com. You can tune in to the 2010 radio show, hosted by Glenn the Geek and Samantha Clark at 2010radioshow.com. Uh, be sure to, to listen to the Dressage Radio Show, presented by Equestrian Life, next week as we catch up on the news from Gladstone. That'll be exciting. Um, and we'll have a surprise guest. 
Yes, you never know who we might have on next week, Heather. We've got a few ideas, so we want to keep uh, listeners interested. You can also follow our show notes at uh, dressageradio.com. And as Heather mentioned before, you can send us your feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to say. There's an It's Your Call segment waiting for you to give your uh, points of view on anything that's uh, topical, anything that's on your mind in the world of dressage. So call us, uh, uh, go to dressageradio.com and call us and leave a voicemail at 270-803-0025. That number again is on the website. You can also email Heather and myself. Uh, Heather's available at heather at horseradio.com or myself at chris at horseradionetwork.com. And the Dressage Radio Show also has a fan page on Facebook, and there's a link to that on our website. And you can also follow us on Twitter, and that's Horse Radio. You can also follow Heather, too. Heather uh, tweets, don't you, on Twitter, Heather? You're at uh, Heather Blitz, right? On Twitter? Yes, I am, and I, I try to put up tweets. I'm trying to get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also follow me, Chris E. Stafford, uh, on Twitter. And you can also go to Heather's uh, website, heatherblitz.info, where you can find her blog and information about her clinics. And also then yep. uh, Paragon's diary, of course. Paragon's videos will be up there too, right, Heather? Yep, they are, along with some other ones and Paragon's up there and hopefully a new one soon. And some nice uh, photographs of him too. And, and, of course, your dogs. Yes, I have whippets, uh, two of them, and, of course, I can't stop taking pictures of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I have some pictures of them on there too. Wonderful. Well, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Equestrian Life, at equestrianlife.com. And also Kentucky Performance Products. They can be found at kppusa.com. So that about wraps it up for us this week. Uh, Heather, what are you going to be doing before we meet again? You know, probably more of the same. A little riding, a little fixing up the house. How about you? (laughs) Um, Well, no fixing up of the house, but quite a bit going on work-wise. Oh, and I'm getting a new toy this week. I am getting the new iPhone, and I'm really exciting. It's it's on its way to me as we speak, so I'm looking forward to uh, playing with that over the weekend. Um, as I'm black, I've been a BlackBerry addict for a, quite a while now, and uh, but I, I really like the bigger interface with the iPhone, and and of course all the applications. So uh, that, that's yeah, that's my new talk. <laughs> well, I have an iTouch. It's not the phone, but I have an iTouch, and, I, and it is pretty unlimited, whatever you want to do with it. So, yeah, good luck with that. I probably won't be able to reach you then for <laughs> days because you'll be so busy playing with that. But <laughs> All right, Heather. Well, until we meet again next week. Yeah, everybody, and thanks for listening. Good luck, and find your providing. 